Hello, people of the world, and welcome to today's episode of the Unity Project podcast. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, the Unity Project podcast is one about the relationships that we have with our bodies. Today, I had the honor of chatting with Sierra Holland, an apprentice midwife, full-spectrum doula, childbirth educator, and reproductive advocate. Sierra had so much important wisdom to share with us on how to better support marginalized people in healthcare. We talked a lot about the oppression of families made up of LGBTQ plus and non-binary individuals, Black, Indigenous, and people of color, and so much more. There's so much there, you guys, when you get started chatting about healthcare. Good God, there's a lot to talk about. She also has a PhD in sociology, is a roller skater, and one of the most interesting people I've talked to. Wow, I feel like a changed human being after our conversation, and I just can't wait to share this interview with you. So, enjoy! How is it going over there? It is going cold and very much Maine today. Oh my gosh. Oh, I read that you were in Maine. That's crazy. Maine is so pretty. I think I've only been to Portland, Maine. I'm not sure where you're at. I am in Portland and it is gorgeous from the inside looking out for sure. Yeah, but I can imagine you're pretty high up there. So it's probably really cold. Yeah. Yeah, my goodness. When I was there, I felt like a storybook. I like got out of a, the car and was like, what is happening? I'm about <laughs> it. Yeah, well, Sierra, thank you so much for joining me today. For those listening, we just had a good half hour of technological difficulties where we hopped on Zoom for five seconds and waved at each other. So <laughs> we're here now and it's working out. I've read so much about Sierra Holland and I cannot wait to share to share our conversation with you. Um, Tia, do you want to give a little brief uh, background about who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, I'm Sierra. I use she, her pronouns. I am currently living in what we know as Portland, Maine, but is Wabanaki territory. Um, I am a midwife here and a childbirth educator and a full-spectrum doula among many other things. I have a background in academia. That's where I came from before I got into midwifery work. So I spent a lot of time studying the body, the queer pregnant body in particular, working with folks from that lens before I was like, you know what? I can't just read and ask about this situation anymore. I have to like get in there and jump ship to the the other side. And here I am doing the midwife thing up here in Maine with so many rad queer folks and lots Mm. of other awesome people. Oh, that is so cool. So cool. I was uh, really interested in that in particular where you talk about how you have this big academic background. You have a PhD in sociology, I think I read. That's true. Okay, that's that's a lot of hard work. You must just, you must have a very full encyclopedia in your brain, I bet. I mean, a PhD is really about determination, quite frankly, so. Yeah. Stubbornness more than anything, I guess. 
Okay, I love it. I love it. Um, but I just thought that was so cool how you wrote about how you realized you wanted to take more of a hands-on approach. And so you kind of switched lanes a little bit with what you were going to use your your education and just your passion for. I thought that that was really special. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, absolutely. So to start off this interview, um, would you describe the relationship that you have with your body? Oh, goodness, that's such a big question. Um, yes, it is. <laughs> where to enter that? I feel really grateful most days for the amazing things my body can do in the world. I've always been a very mobile and physical person. I'm currently able-bodied and really enjoy moving my body. And it's like I trust it to do the things I ask of it, which is really awesome and exciting. Um, I'm a, a roller derby player and coach and a rock climber and a, a frequent hiker. And that dependability from my body is really impactful to me. Um, but I also grew up in the evangelical church where the body was like this weird, untouchable, literally and metaphorically kind of thing. But it's like, we do a whole lot of talking about how we're not going to talk about this and like nobody gets to explore their relationship to their bodies. So I come from that very much from that space um, that set me up for what should have been not a great relationship and, and thankfully has that's not panned out the way they would have hoped, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that's that's very that's very cool to hear that you're in roller derby. Just a quick side note, I think that that's the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> one of my one of my childhood best friends is always posting about that, and I'm like, okay, I'm doing everything wrong. I need to give it all up and go roller skate because that's the best way to do it. Uh, but yeah, so coming from the evangelical church world, I I grew up in that world as well, which was a huge a huge factor in wanting to start this podcast because, and as one of the things that you sent me that you wrote, uh, just the purity culture and modesty culture and all that stuff that comes with growing up in that world is really hard to undo. And so I am so excited and fascinated by the amount of people that I meet with stories like yours to where there was a plot twist and it did end up very differently than was probably intentioned. So it's always really exciting to me. What was it like growing up in that world for you? Like, did, did you feel connected to your body as a kid or did you like, did that take a while? Did something feel off? What was that like? Yeah, I had this strange combination of influences from the church and from my mom, who is a labor and delivery nurse, and I grew up on a farm. So to me, like, there was not shame around the body in my, like, home life. It was like, horses were having babies, and I was a toddler, like, catching horse babies, and my mom oh was, my like, gosh. studying for nursing boards and exams and stuff, and was very open about the body with me growing up and like no euphemisms no like weird shamey language um I feel really grateful that I had her influence as a medical professional and also like the farm and the animals and everything because there's just so much junk I mean I was 
entrenched in purity culture. I mean, that's, you know, so deep that I ended up writing and publishing about it because I was like, I need to process this <laughs> yeah. out in the world. Um, so I, I had this like kind of push and pull between those two things. And I, you know, I went to school, I went to a school that was affiliated by, with the evangelical church, um, a private school. And talking in class about like oh my god I saw a horse breed another horse and like this is what happens and the principal was like to the office right now child because we do like we do not talk about these things and I'm like what this is just my daily life on the farm and how can uh. that like how can that be wrong and shameful when like I just see this every day and it's so normalized and so I think I, I got a little bit lucky with that influence that I didn't, I didn't get that strong alienation um, that I know is super common in the church when you, you get it just pounded into your head how like shameful and sinful the body is and, and all the things that are of the flesh and, and you know, the rabbit hole. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. That, first of all, it's awesome that you grew up on a farm catching horse babies yeah I think that that, I'm like it's painting a whole picture for me and it's a really awesome picture (laughs) that's so cool um wow so you always kind of like you were never really I guess for lack of better words in a brainwashed situation by that world and kind of fully believing that the body is should be hidden and there's shame, like all that stuff. Like you never really were in that headspace then. It just didn't stick for me. Like I certainly heard that. I heard that all the time. My school had a dress code, you know, skirts of a certain length and all of these things. But it just like, it didn't stick because I would, I would go to school and I'd be in my skirts and I'd be like measuring three fingers from my collarbone and all that bullshit that happens with school uniforms. And then I'd go home and I'd like put on boys jeans and run to the barn and groom my horse. And it just like, it, I don't know, I, I got away without the dissonance, I think. It didn't stick, weirdly. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, thank God for that. That's very, that's a very cool story. When did you, did you like kind of believe the concepts in church world at the time, even outside of that? Or was there kind of like a, a deconstruction-y phase that happened? Yeah, I um, I did a lot of traveling um, when I was a teenager and exploring it. I actually studied religion for my master's um, and I, I was studying religion around the world and I spent time in England and Scotland and I really kind of revised what it meant to me and and I'm a sociologist by training and I care a lot about ritual and how folks make meaning for themselves and how they show up in those spaces and how people take what they need from organized things like religion and and studied that as I was doing it for myself and saying like, okay, I don't need this thing over here. That's really gross. I have a lot of questions about this thing, but actually I care very deeply about this community connection. And I care very deeply about the sacredness of the body and all these other things. And I I kind of did this pick and choose situation that got me to where I'm at now, which has felt has felt like a luxury that a lot of folks don't have. And, um, you know, I was asked to leave a church at, at one time for being a queer person of faith, which is like apparently incompatible to a lot of folks. 
Okay, that's very cool. That sounds very similar to kind of a handful of people's journeys that I've heard, but really just like, I love that concept of just being willing to ask questions that a lot of people don't want you to ask and having the, or feeling the permission to be able to pick things that you want to hold on to and get rid of what you don't and stuff. I think that that's really cool. So that, I mean, at least in my background, that was so frowned upon that it was like, you either believe every single word of this or you are a wrong, horrible person. And I'm like, Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Questions equal doubt and doubt is the opposite of faith and all of those things. But it's like, I'm a scientist. You ask questions all the time of everything. That's how we learn more things and that's how we revise theories and that's how we apply things is like asking good, deep, thoughtful questions about things. And if you can't do that about your faith practice, like to me, that just shows how fragile it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so how... How did you end up wanting to do what you're doing now? Did it come from influences from your mom or even just like helping give birth to baby horses and stuff? <laughs> or what was that like? Oh man, it's when I look back, it is kind of a logical progression. But in the moment, as I was making these decisions step by step, it I felt really unmoored and like I didn't quite know what was coming next. And nothing I was working on was really fulfilling and impactful in the way I wanted it to be. Um, so I was, I was spending time for my dissertation researching and writing and being in community with folks going through these experiences, but there was always this kind of like distance, like a layer there. And one of my folks had a doula and I learned that word for the first time. And I was like, what is this? Tap, tap, tap on my keyboard. And then my wife was like, you don't remember you mentioned that like five years ago that you might want to do that someday. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I've never heard this word before. And she's like, no, definitely you did. And she actually signed me up for a doula training. She was like, we're just, you're just doing this. I think it needs to happen. And um, I started moving into the space in that way. And when I figured out that I could be that supportive presence for folks in a really grounding and embodied way. And I worked mostly with queer trans and non-binary folks when I worked as a doula, I was like, oh, this thing exists. And like, why am I not doing that? That makes a lot more sense than like giving presentations to rooms full of old white men who are just humoring me and like probably not even listening. Um, and then, you know, being a doula is like, being in those spaces, mostly hospital spaces, seeing just how deeply entrenched these oppressive systems are and watching trauma be built and compounded upon in my clients. And, you know, the start of the pandemic really uh, brought that to the surface in a way that for me was unignorable. And I decided to become a provider. And um, I felt a really strong call from my community to be a provider that was both queer identified and queer centering. Um, and so I kind of left my doula work behind to focus on midwifery care. Okay, now I'm sorry if this is an obvious question, but what, what's the difference between being a doula and midwifery care? Yeah, no, that's a great question. It's, it's not obvious, and I, a lot of folks have... Um, questions about untangling these roles. So a doula is okay, a support person that does non-clinical things. So that looks like information, education, advocacy, emotional support, kind of um, companioning is another way to talk about it, but with a really strong advocacy lens. So 
accompanying people into spaces of transition. I did a lot of birth work, but I've also done other kinds of transition work and fertility work and gender transition work. And um, it means being present with people in those spaces and helping them get access to all of the knowledge they need, helping them process their own decisions, and then helping them enact those decisions in that space. Um, and that's kind of the non-clinical role. A midwife is a healthcare provider. So as a midwife, I do all of the kind of monitoring of a pregnant person or a person trying to conceive and a fetus and then a newborn and ensuring that they're clinically safe and healthy um, in the out of hospital space. So we're, we're doing home births. Um, at the practice that I work and things like intrauterine insemination or IUI at home with folks who have gotten a hold of sperm some other way. Um, and that's really like the, the healthcare provider role. Okay. Okay. That makes, that makes so much sense. So you went from being like the emotionally supportive advocate, kind of helping uh, educate and learn and like kind of stand up and help make sure that they have the information they need to someone who's actually like performing the the things I guess for like a better yeah. word. No that's exactly okay. it. Yeah. Okay that's very cool. Um, talk to me more about the this like trauma and healthcare and what I might my partner is actually an ER nurse and so we talk we have a lot of conversations around um, healthcare and so many problems inside of it. And so what is what have you learned? What is kind of your your views and thoughts on why it's so messed up? Yeah, first of all, thank God for people like your partner. Give that person a yeah. hug or a high five or whatever because like solid nurses hold shit together, I'm telling you. But oh, yeah. I, you know, interacted with obstetrical care in the hospital system a lot and what we know is that the system is built on white supremacy and racism, and it, it works in the way it is supposed to work in that it oppresses certain kinds of people very clearly and strongly, and that it funnels people into other oppressive systems or into other long, lifelong uh, poor health outcomes. Um, and that financially it traps a lot of people and limits their choices and that it is a, ultimately a pretty coercive system to be a part of, um, even for folks with all of the privilege behind them. It's, it's a place that breeds trauma and not just for folks that are entering it as, as patients or clients, but also for the providers, providers are beholden to protocols that are set usually by insurance companies who don't know anything about actually delivering health care. They're only thinking from a legal and liability standpoint. So we've got policies that make no sense for actual bodies and we're laying them on top of actual bodies that then move forward in the world bearing the trauma of those policies. And I just spent so much time watching that unfold and feeling like helpless in the face of that that I... I had to take a step back and reevaluate if I could have a different role um, in that space with folks throughout their reproductive lives. And that's how I came to midwifery. And I choose to be outside of the hospital system in the kind of midwifery I do. Um, but there are also midwives who are integrated into hospital care who are doing a different sort of, sort of care. Okay. So you're saying that you do that outside of the hospitals, like insurance is just not even in the picture at all. We actually can bill insurance for services, but the difference is that we are not 
uh, we're in an out-of-network situation, so we're not bound by their basically rules in the same way. That does mean that they often decide they're only going to give us or clients a little bit of money for care. So a lot of folks are paying out of pocket for care, but we think a lot about how to make it more accessible and get it out there for folks um, who would see that as a barrier, experience that as a barrier. I think that that's really cool. I did not know that kind of thing existed. Okay, yeah, that's that's very cool. My gosh, I was reading a little bit about what you were talking about with healthcare, and I forget which, I think it was one of the first published, I'm going back into your email now to see it, but I think it was one of the first, the first published thing that you sent me. Let me see. Um, it was about when, oh yeah, in the United States, infertility emerged as a specialty of medicine in the late 1960s, early 70s, as a result of deeper knowledge about the menstrual cycle. It's such a market, like, uh, infertility, when basically people discovered that there was a market for this, it's like, you need all the things, your body's broken in all the ways, and midwifery care is just such a radically different model, because we assume the body is whole and healthy to start, and the body can mm -hmm. do things. And we begin there. And if we need to do detective work about the unique ways that an individual's body engages with things like reproduction, then we do. But we don't start from the idea that your body is broken. And I think that's why I, you know, I prefer to be in fertility care as opposed to infertility care, which mm -hmm. seems like a subtle difference, but it is that totally opposite idea of the body. The work that you sent that they found out there was a lot more money in basically calling it infertility and finding all these different options versus studying how to help instead. Yeah, the like testing, ultrasounds, medicalizing this process, controlling the process, all of that stuff just became the market as opposed to just educating people about their bodies, which there's no money in that. Teaching someone how their menstrual cycle works and how to care for their body throughout their cycle, there's like no money in that. Oh <laughs> but God. if you can tell people that they need to time their ovulation and they need to do all these blood tests and they need to have ultrasounds to see if they're actually ovulating and all this stuff, you can make a lot of money and that's infertility care. Oh my goodness. Okay, I feel like so many lights are going off in my brain. <laughs> so many connections are being made. Wow. It, you know, I feel like the older I get, the more I feel like I don't, the more I feel like I have been taught wrong. Like, this is a completely different topic, but have you heard of the book, The Color of Law? No. Okay, it's just about how uh, the government segregated America uh, in, then like, housing and whatnot and, oh, like, yeah. zoning and redlining. It's about kind of all that and how this is a tangent that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But I've been reading that, and it's been super interesting to me because I'm just like, I didn't know any of this. I feel like everything that I've been taught 
And we've been taught it's just so censored by what is convenient and helpful for the heteronormative, patriarchal, white world. Yeah, and so this going into that just isn't surprising at all. And it's like, we... I I always thought okay so I went I went to a Christian school uh, and didn't have sex ed because they're not state funded and they didn't have to provide that like literally no sex ed right and I was like yeah. okay this is super normal and fine and okay and then I went to a women's college and I was young I graduated high school at sixteen and I started at a women's college and I was like what the fuck is wrong with the world like why is this allowed to perpetuate and the idea that you can't learn about your body and be a person of faith is so bogus like I don't know if you're familiar mm. with um, I'm not a UU but they have a very cool lifespan sexuality program it's called our whole lives and they do sex ed for for folks like from kindergarten through older adulthood and it's like age appropriate and it's sexuality affirming and it's sex positive and it's body positive and it's like I mean, to call the EU's religious is like a little bit of a stretch, but they kind of prove that these things don't have to be separated and you can provide affirming and clinically like informative sex ed to kids and be an institution of faith. And it's like, that's not ridiculous. Mm. Oh, yeah. Wow, that's really cool. That feels like something that would have been incredibly helpful for me growing up and for right? so many people. I was like, why did yeah. I discover this at like 25? I learned about the sex ed curriculum and yeah, it's just oh pretty gosh. cool. Now I want everyone to know about it because it's like never too late to learn about your body and how your body works and like what it can do in the world and how to keep it safe and how to engage with other bodies. And like, you can learn that at any age. Mm. Mm-hmm. What's this program called? You said it was called UU? It's the Unitarian Universalists run it. Okay. Um, their program is called Our Whole Lives. Okay. Our Whole Lives. I'm going to put that in the dis- uh, description area below for anyone interested in that because I want to do some digging. I'm very curious on how to get that information more accessible and stuff. So I'm so happy you brought it up. Wow. Um, so tell me more about your personal work. And I, I read a little bit about your philosophy and about how you aim to be inclusive and affirming uh, for marginalized groups. What does that look like? And how have you noticed the lack of that in regular healthcare has just affected society as a whole? Oh, my goodness. It's like reproductive health care, especially as a very specific kind of body and a very specific relationship between multiple bodies and just a way of moving in the world that is like so narrow and rigid and and that we know actually only a very small proportion of folks fit that and to me I see like doing midwifery care in this affirming and power of understanding way as so open and expansive it's like most folks are doing really unique and cool things with their bodies and with their family building and family building is like really my specialty and people build their families in so many cool ways and it's like the creativity that we bring to the process and that's something that 
It's the reason I really love working with queer trans non-binary folks is that we just tend to be so creative and our family structures are like this big, beautiful constellation of things. And as a midwife, like I get to help people plan that out and embrace it and integrate those folks. So it's not like we, we never assume that sperm is like part of your relationship or in-house, we say. Like we can get sperm from all over the place. You can buy sperm on the Internet. You can get it from your neighbor. Maybe one of your partners has it. Like, I don't care where your sperm comes from. You want to use it? I'll help you use it. And it's like, we just have so many more options than traditional healthcare. Well, I should say our current healthcare system, because midwifery is actually the traditional healthcare, but our current system allows us to explore. They're like, you have this option and that's it. And then here's what comes next and next and next. But midwifery care is very much like, it's just like this bubble that you're, kind of negotiating however you please and you're like bouncing around and trying different things and I get to support people in that and I feel really lucky that that's my job which is kind of nuts that's so so cool to hear tell me more about family building and how I love how you called it like a constellation of all of us just finding these creative ways to do it which is like my favorite way to talk about just queerness in general is you get to just do what you want and do it how you feel is true. What kind of ways have you seen people kind of create different, uh, I guess, untraditional family styles that you've really, really liked? So many, just like endless ways. There's just endless ways. I love helping people figure out, first of all, what family means to them. Does family mean one partner, multiple partners, a co-parent? Does family mean a fur kid or a human kid? And if so, how do we get that kid? Is that kid built in your body? Is that kid brought from another space or another home and invited into your home? Is that kid parented by multiple generations or chosen family or community members? There's just so many dynamics to explore. And given the choice, people will be like expansive and connective in their family building. Like, I don't know why we try to be so narrow and rigid about what I'm using air quotes family looks like, because it's like there's infinite definitions of that word and getting to like do the clinical side for people. So if they come and they're like, okay, I need to get some sperm. Where do I get sperm? I'm like, great. Here's six options for where to get sperm. Let's do the pros and cons of all of them. And then, okay, how do we get sperm in somebody's body? Great. Let me talk you through all those things. Whose body are we thinking about? And let's learn some things about that body. And then let's bring the sperm on board. And it's just like, all the many ways you can do it. You can't even wrap your mind around all the things that people come up with. Oh man, that's so cool. It's just like you're starting from a blank slate, assuming nothing, getting to just create something new and beautiful. And I love that. Yeah, I love it too. And I'm like, why isn't everybody <laughs> approaching things like this? Like, why are we so close-minded about what family can look like and what our bodies can do in this space and what kind of care we can have for our bodies. So the other cool thing I get to do is well body care, which is like gynecology care. Like I get to talk people through how they want to prevent pregnancy if they have those parts and want to prevent pregnancy. I get to do PAPs for people, trauma-informed PAPs with no stirrups. Like I can do your PAP in your own bed. Like I get to have conversations with people about taking care of their reproductive health in this holistic and trauma-informed way and it's like 
you don't need to go to a gynecologist. Your midwife can do that for you. And people don't even know that. So I'm like shamelessly plugging. You can see a midwife to get your pap, folks. Oh my goodness. I like part of me just wants to fly to Maine and go here. <laughs> <laughs> get all my stuff done in Portland, Maine. That's so cool. Just the idea of trauma-informed healthcare, trauma-informed pap smears. Like that should be that should be so just understood and universal and oh my gosh, I'm getting so excited because I didn't know any of this existed. So that makes me scream it, out it makes door. me so happy to like share this news. I want to tell everyone that I can possibly think of. Like if you're a person who needs pap smears, go see a midwife. And not that all midwives are the same by any means. Like the practice I'm with works really, really hard to be trauma informed and power conscious and to be centered on the person in front of us. But that's, you know, that's not true for all providers. And but just knowing that there are options that aren't like your typical OB-GYN in the hospital for a pap, especially for queer folks. I mean, we know queer folks have higher rates of avoiding healthcare because of the oppression that we face when we go interact with the healthcare system. And it's mm-hmm. like, I want people's bodies to be taken care of so well. And to let people know that there's more options is like a really exciting part of the job for me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize that any of that was a thing. I think that that's just so special. Tell me more about like the struggles with people who are queer and healthcare and how that has been such a struggle with like uh, pronouns and gender and just assumptions. And what does that look like? It is so disheartening go into a healthcare provider for something, whatever, doesn't even matter. And to get invasive questions about your body and to be potentially dead named or misgendered or to have assumptions made about the parts you have and the parts any of your partners might have and any exposures you might have to different things like STIs, just to have a provider look at you like, I don't know what you're doing out there. Because you're queer, I think X, Y, and Z of you. Or to be erased in that space and to not be able to share with a provider that you have sex with certain types of partners or in certain ways or no, I don't need this kind of birth control or I would actually like to talk about birth control and to just have like your identity reduced or erased or not be honored and a provider not understand what like an appropriate amount of clinical curiosity is so there's also this other the flip side of it which is all the invasive questions about things that aren't clinically relevant to the care somebody's seeking and providers just haven't figured out how to modulate like being queer really matters in the world it matters to how we move through the world but it's also not the sum of who we are as queer folks and it's not everything that you're seeing when someone's sitting in front of you for care And I think we just don't have the time or the training in our kind of medicalized care system to really see people for their whole selves and to see what they need from a situation. I mean, if you're in like hospital-based obstetric care, for instance, you get five to seven minutes of FaceTime with your OB in a visit. 
That's ridiculous to me. I sit and chat with people for an hour about just what is happening in their bodies and the amazing things their bodies are doing and the ways that they're feeling and what their baby is doing right now and checking in on them and physically making that touch connection with them if that's okay. And that's like the work we do versus five minutes of like checking a couple boxes and not having the space to human together. Um, which is my tangent about obstetrics. Sorry, I'll reel it in. <laughs> no, no worry. It's a very important tangent to be shared with the world. Um, wh- what are like some, some resources and if there are any other companies in other parts of the country or the world that you know of like yours uh, that people can look to and learn from, do you have any, any of that kind of stuff that you could share? Yeah, I think that um, a lot of the work we do is super community-based, so it helps to find the person in your community that is like the gateway into other providers. So we have this cool directory called the Queer Doula Network, and it's got um, support people and birth workers all across the country who are queer, trans, and non-binary themselves. And finding that person who's like close by where you are and asking them who are the safe and affirming providers for X, Y, and Z type of care. Um, Because we like here in Maine, we really pride ourselves on knowing the community really well and knowing where to send folks. So if I, if I got a question about another state or another place, I I might not know the landscape very well because it's not. So finding that person, that touchstone Um, is super key and I I think the Queer Doula Network is a great place to start and if there's not like a person in the directory in your area reaching out and being like hey do you know of anyone in this place because you know admin stuff takes time or maybe not everybody wants to be publicly out there on the internet to be found Um, yeah that's I think a big resource I'd I'd want people to know about my goodness Sierra this is Oh, I see you sent me those links. Thank you very much. Um, This has been so wonderful to learn so much from you about what you do and what you care about. And I can tell how passionate you are about this, which is I love talking to people who are so passionate about what they're doing because it makes me feel so passionate with them. And especially stuff like this, like like it's frustrating how, like I said earlier, how much I'm learning that I was taught wrong, but it's also extremely exciting because it's like, okay, what are we going to do with this information now? Who can we tell? Exactly. Um, and it's so cool. We have had teenagers in our care who've had like their first app with us as midwives. And it's like, we get to set the tone for what those people will expect for the rest of their healthcare, like during their lives. We get to like Mm. model that for them and shape that. And they're going to go out and they're going to demand better from their providers. And I love that. But I also love when people come to us later in life or they're on like their fourth baby and they're like, I just learned about this. This is amazing. Why haven't I done this all along? And I'm like, you only know what you know in the moment. And now that you know about this, let's explore it and see if it resonates with you. And it's like, People who come to this kind of care and relationship to their bodies at all different stages in life, it's like magical at each stage for its own reasons. My goodness, it's like, it just sounds like such a celebration of people. 
It is. And I think you maybe caught me in a good mood because often I feel very angry about the fact that we we do hide this from people. We do refuse to teach people about their bodies or support their explorations of their own bodies. We do create shame and fear around the body from a very young age, whether you're in religion or not, frankly. And a lot of days yeah. I'm pretty angry about how like there has been campaigns against midwives throughout history. Like it's actively this kind of work and a relationship with your body that's intuitive and healthy and trauma-informed is like actively worked against in our culture. So there's also that side of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, there's definitely a lot to be angry about there. I love how, I love how intentional you are in the way that you talk about the people that you work with and just people in general. I think that that, that's a huge deal that just calling someone a person and not assuming who or what they consider themselves are before they tell you is really special. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, language is, is visibility and the power of a person to claim their identity and to say, this is what and who I am. And this is how I move through the world is like, super a foundation of my practice and I also happen to be married to someone who has a PhD in English and is an editor and runs a bookstore and so we spend a lot of time on words in my household oh my gosh they're an editor that runs a bookstore that is so cool bookstores are my favorite place in the whole entire world yeah I agree but yes yeah thank you so much for for talking with me today and for just sharing your knowledge and your stories and just your passion with me and with whoever's listening to this podcast. It's all such important information. Yeah, thanks for your great questions and for listening to me just drone on about midwifery care today. Yeah, absolutely. This has been so much fun. I actually, I have two more questions for you, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, The first one is, what are ways that you like to connect? What are ways that help you feel connected to your body today? I really love spending time outside and the kind of physical sensation of like whatever the earth is offering. Um, Like I'm... Looking at the snow that we have right now, it's a little bit melty today. I'm going to go walk my dog and just like feel the snow under my boots and like watch him frolic through the snow. And whatever the season has to offer is just like, it brings me so much joy and to move my body in that space. And that's, I think, a big way of like putting aside the hard parts of the day or like processing it out through my body so it doesn't get stuck there because trauma and even like happy reproductive experiences, they're just a lot often, they're intense and they can really like take up space and live in your body. And so I have to find a way to like let them move out of my body. They don't belong to me. They belong to someone else. And I simply can't carry them all around all the time. Yeah. Oh, man. That's a lot. There's a lot there in just that last thing you said. (laughs) Yeah. That's very cool. Getting out in the snow. It just snowed. We got, well, I guess it's just the whole country is like going through its different blizzards (laughs) according to the news. (laughs) But it just, it just gave us like a, a good foot of snow and our new puppy has just been exploring snow for the first time oh god 
Oh my gosh, seeing snow through the eyes of a baby golden retriever. Oh, you have a golden. Oh my God. Oh no. It was my dream. I think I have asked my partner Kaylee when we first started dating. I don't know how many days went by without me bringing up the idea of getting a gold and she already had two dogs two huge dogs so we have three. Oh my goodness and I'm like but we gotta have a golden retriever as well like it's just it just belongs and so yeah Bennett got to explore the snow for the first time <laughs> it's so fun oh yes but my last yes yes I'm happy that you share my my love for golden retrievers oh yeah they're just the sweetest pups i have an australian cattle dog and we've been talking about adding a golden to our household um please to have a pair of them yeah my last question for you has absolutely nothing to do with anything else um are you ready for it yes okay would you rather everywhere you go you had to go on a sled and if snow's on the ground, you're like sledding, but if snow's not on the ground, the sled has uh, wheels, but it still looks like a classic snow sled. And the sled is being pulled by chihuahuas, <laughs> not your average chihuahuas. These are like really buff, just like they have been to the gym chihuahuas. <laughs> They're pulling you around, and they're super arrogant, but they get you where you gotta go. They're just not very much fun to talk to because they just they think very highly of themselves. Would you rather do that, or would you rather every time you brushed your hair, your partner was gifted a bowl of Fruit Loops? Okay, definitely the second one because my wife is like obsessed with cereal and she would be content to eat cereal for every meal of every day. So that's like a win. That's a win-win to me. I mean, I love dogs, but I have a lot of trouble with arrogance uh, just in general. So I would take the second and I would gift my wife. I'd be brushing the shit out of my hair just gifting my wife cereal because I know how much she loves it. Oh, that's amazing. I'm so happy for your wife. Your wife and I have that in common because there's a reason I asked a serial question. (laughs) Oh, that makes me so happy. My gosh. Well, Sierra, thank you so much for your time. Is... Are there any other links or any places you want people to go to find you? Maybe like social media or a website or something that you want to push people towards? Sure, I can leave some links for you to share with folks. My personal practice is called All Bodies Birth, um, and I have a website and Instagram. And the practice I work for as a midwife in Bath is called Soft Corner Midwifery, which also has some pretty good online presence. Um, Yeah. Okay, awesome. Well, I will put all of that in the description box below. Um, I am going to go hang out with Bennett again while the snow is still (laughs) there. (laughs) And I hope that you have a wonderful rest of the day. And I hope you get a golden retriever. And I hope that your (laughs) wife enjoys her new bowls of Fruit Loops. Thank you so much, Jackie. Have so much fun with your pup. And I hope we get to keep chatting in the future. Yes. Me too. Me too. We'll keep in touch. All right. bye. Bye. 
If you have enjoyed listening to the Unity Project podcast and you want to find out how to get more involved in what I am doing, then go follow me on Instagram if you haven't already. It's JackieG.TV. That's where I post all the things about this and other things that I'm working on, like my new book coming up. A lot of it is having to do with this podcast, so definitely stay tuned for that if you enjoyed this. But anything else you could be interested in is on the gram. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you guys next time.